Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. Today, I am sitting down with Vince Douglas. Vince Douglas is our senior alumni coordinator at the beautiful Bracebridge Hall in Earlville, Maryland. He does an outstanding job um, working with our patients and alumni there, and he is unashamedly in recovery, and I just thought that he was the right person today um, to talk to us. August 31st is International Overdose Awareness Day. And this day was created to honor the lives lost to overdose and to help reduce the stigma associated with substance-related passing. Sometimes when we lose loved ones to the disease of addiction, there also comes this this unexpected shame associated with that. And um, so I think it helps just to talk about it. And um, I thought Vince was the person today and and that could really help us walk through this journey and, and what it's like on many different fronts. And September, this leads into September, which is National Recovery Month. And the Alumni Association, we will be dropping new podcast episodes every single Friday during National Recovery Month. And so stay tuned with us. Um, These are going to be great stories of hope. We have events surrounding um, National Recovery Month. Go to our website, rcaalumni.com. You don't have to be an alum of RCA to get involved. Is that right, Vince? Yeah, yeah. Just come out, be a part of our events, be a part of what's going on, our meetings. Um, There are online meetings. There are hybrid meetings. There are in-person meetings. Uh, a host of events, a lot of different things, all things to all people, right? So find something you would think you might enjoy, push yourself a bit, and get some fellowship. So with that, I'd like to say welcome again to Vince. I'm uh, grateful to be here today, that's for sure. Vince, why don't you just start by telling us, how did you come to be the Senior Alumni Coordinator at RCA? Um... Almost as in trust in the process and trust in a vision that was instilled in me um, based on the uh, principles of recovery, service, and giving back. And I knew that was instilled in me. I knew that was, that's what I was supposed to do. And uh, one day at a time, now I'm here, um, trusting the process. Awesome. And, and tell the listeners a little bit, in a nutshell, what does an alumni coordinator do? What, what's your job, and Dale, what's a, a day today look like? Yeah, um, so a senior alumni coordinator is an uh, individual who works with patients while they're inside of treatment, um, and they also work with the patient as they transition to alumni from helping them getting connected to the recovery community, helping finding resources for all different areas in which they live in, um, from meetings, sponsorship, etc., as well as hosting and attending alumni events alumni meetings, which are all throughout the day, which the Alumni Association uh, puts on, which is such a beautiful thing as an individual who's transitioning from uh, inpatient to real-world living. Um, It's almost as a stepping stone to help emerge the individual into long-lasting recovery. That's great. Um, What do you think is your favorite part about being an alumni coordinator? All of it. All of it. All of it. Seeing an individual go from broken to hopeful, um, to see lives change, families change. Uh, I've been working for RCA for next month, four years, and I've met a lot of people throughout this journey. And stepping into the alumni role has allowed me to see individuals from as long as four years ago recover out loud, um, 
to have dreams just instilled into their life, which they couldn't even fathom um, from their days inpatient. So it, I, I love every aspect of my job. I, I just heard you say the phrase, recover out loud. And I know that's kind of a shift in thinking, right? Uh, you know, through the years, there was kind of this, we need to cover in secret, or we need to recover in secret, or, or this is kind of a private process. And now we're, we're breaking down those, that stigma and people, is, is, is that what you mean by the phrase recover out loud? Absolutely, absolutely. As I recover out loud, I, I, I encourage and inspire and I'm in a position of hope uh, for an individual to seek the same thing in which I found. And uh, that's how I got into recovery was a guy who was recovering out loud, inspired me, um, and So it just means you, you tell people you're in recovery Breaking the stigma, yeah. Breaking I'm, the stigma. I'm not afraid to be exactly who I am anymore. Um, as an individual in addiction, we're, we're hiding aspects of our lives mm-hmm. continuously, continuously. And there is an immense amount of stigma placed on the individual in the addiction as well as the individual in recovery. Talk more about that. Um, so for myself, um, I was always getting in trouble doing drugs at an early age. And it was all about a party, and I love the party identity that I got. Vince was a fun guy, but I took the party a little too far throughout those days. And I got into lots of trouble by chasing this party, if you will. And a lot of stigmas came to me as, you know, my actions desired for the stigma to be there, essentially. And it continued to change for me, and I continued to realize that there was a real stigma. On, on an addict using or an alcoholic drinking um, actively mm-hmm. every day and the individual who is willing to go to any lengths to get the next one. I was that person. I was that person and I was willing to do anything it took to get them. Um, the stigma was don't trust him. Stay away. Uh, he'll never get it together. You shouldn't be with him. Um, you're never going to make it in this life. Uh, you're going to be in prison for the rest of your life. There's so many stigmas that was placed and spoken over my position in life. Take us to the beginning. Like you said, that the party identity became that became your identity. Absolutely. But what was going on before that? Before that, I was just a kid um, growing up, you know, not really knowing I was in a, a lower-income house, um, a rougher neighborhood, but I didn't know because it was normal to me. It was all I knew until, you know, you get into middle school and you realize there's people with more than one TV in their house, and you're like, wow. You know, and I would go home and ask these questions. I didn't really receive any answers until I put two and two together. Um, Fast forward, I I loved playing football, baseball, basketball. I mean, I love football. Um, I coach to this day, which is a – amazing thing it's a shift and it shows the power of recovery that's for sure and uh i i slowly uh my parents split up and i was the only boy in a house full of you know women and i was just struggling to identify a moral compass in which i could guide myself or be guided towards uh you know the dreams and hopes that i had and and unfortunately i got lost kind of um and chasing the wrong things, which was the party, uh, you know, originally it was 
When, when, about what time, about what age do you think you, you made this transition? 13 years old. 13. 13 years old, I shifted into wanting to become uh, what I thought a man was. Mm-hmm. Um, what I thought was cool, what I thought was popular, what I thought other people would like if I became this. I'm sitting here, and, and, and I think that's a theme, like that 12, 13, 14, like, you know, uh, interviewing more people and, and, and being in this recovery, around people in recovery, and I hear that age a lot, almost that preteen age and the, the early teens. What do you say to parents? How do you, and, and you're a parent now yourself, how do we... Uh, look at those early you know what what can we do what's the what's prevention look like Ooh, that's a tough one I think open honest communication is one of them um, not that my parents did anything wrong I just chose to do wrong I think in unconditional love um, lessons to be taught there unconditional also means hard love right mm-hmm. tough love if you will and uh, be there be there for them because there's been moments where I felt like no one was there, and uh, that was obviously out of my own doing, but there's sometimes when you're not there is a little too soon to not be there, if that makes sense, you know, yeah. so. And so you're 13, you make this decision to go into the party. Was it immediately that this gets a hold of you, or was it kind of gradual over time? Um, I would be lying if I said it was instant. I know I love the effects instantly, but I still had reason to put things before it. Going to school, so I would keep the party to the weekend. Um, I would smoke weed and drink on the weekends. Uh, after our football games on Friday nights, hang out with the older guys, and, you know, you get a bottle, and, and you chug this bottle around older guys. They think it's the coolest thing in the world. And them thinking it's the coolest thing in the world, you're going to believe it. You're going to feel so good about being accepted and acknowledged amongst peers. Um, and you're willing to take it to different levels to prove to them who you can be. Mm. You know, I've always had this little piece inside of me that had to prove what I could be. That affirmation. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, my dad wasn't, not that my dad wasn't there, but my parents split up and I stayed with my mom full time. And to hear... Older guys' approval, acceptance, and affirm, affirming, you know, what I'm doing felt amazing. Mm-hmm. Felt like a drug itself for me. Um, fast forward a little bit, I, I, I chased this full time, and, you know, what I realized is that you can make a living off of selling drugs, which is what I did at the time. Um, at 15 years old, I was, you know, gave up on school. Um, dove into the drug life and, 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 and drinking life tremendously. And, uh, you know, I always thought it could never happen to me. I have too much knowledge about this thing, you know, not me. And, and that's, a, that's a theme throughout my whole, whole addiction, not me. I would, I would mark lines in the sand, cross and make a new line, say not me, mm. right? Have a position in which I can compare myself out to. Um, I'm doing pills and they're doing heroin, so I'm, I'm better off, which is, you know, I think an individual, as they progress in their illness and addiction, they do that mentally inside. I didn't say it out loud, mm-hmm. you know, but inside my head it justifies my continuous use. And when do you go, I've got a problem, this is, this is the, the, I've changed my identity and this really isn't who I am. 
I think I've had sobering thoughts throughout my drinking and drugging. Um, one was being kicked out of, you know, home at 17 years old. Uh, you know, an average or normal person, if you will, who doesn't suffer from this direct disease. I should have been thinking, wow, I've really, you know, messed things up. Because this is where my life is going at 17 years old. You know, my whole family is trying to help me do interventions. And I'm denying all of it. What's the, and, and, and in my head, I'm thinking that I'm right and all of, all of them are wrong. Um, and these are the consequences. But instead, I point the finger at my mom and my family and say, you guys don't love me. What kind of mother puts her only son out on the streets? What mom does that? You don't love me. That's not an act of love. Looking back in hindsight, that was the biggest form of love she could have done. Try to open my eyes to the realization of my behavior, my addiction. All my actions led me to that moment. Talk to a mom right now who's in a situation where they got to make a hard choice. Uh, What would you say? I think each situation is a little more tricky Mm -hmm. you know um don't enable but love encourage inspire help but don't enable what did enabling look like for you oh man um my mom got hip to the game because i was you know a raging addict straight out of the gate 15 years old fully addicted to oxycontin uh began manipulating my mom into what I would do if she didn't give me money. And she would she would do it. And then eventually, you know, she had to understand what I'm doing to her. Okay. In her eyes, she thinks that she's helping her son not go into jail, right? Because I would rob houses and my mom didn't want me doing that. I'd rather give my son money than not have him rob a house. That's a rational thought. Mm-hmm. But it's also enabling me from seeing the truth about myself. So allowing your loved one to experience consequences. I think so. I think so. That's tough. Absolutely. Especially as a mom. Abs- I, and I understand that as a, you know, a new father today is like, I'm going to have to let my son experience the consequences, whether it's telling a lie or taking a piece of candy without permission, whatever it may be, right? There's a lessons there, you know? Mm. So um, the drug use progresses. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the drug use progresses, uh, and now I'm, uh, I'm not just threatening to do these things in which I talked about. I am actually out there, homeless, couch hopping, however you want to look at it, um, not living at the address of where my license says I live. Um, and I'm, I'm doing every and anything I could do to get that next one. I would sacrifice my morality in chase of it. And I think in active addiction and alcoholism, we are willing to sacrifice our morals and our values to find the next one. It's, it's, a, it's a deep dive into uh, truly sacrificing a different position. Um, and for myself, I would rob houses and eventually that all that caught up to me and I landed in jail at 18 um, for robbing a house and I remember calling- And now you're an adult. And now I'm calling my mom, look, please help me. But I didn't want that kind of help before. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 similar to the foxhole prayers. It's okay. the foxhole calls, right, that we would do to our parents or our loved ones, our wives, whatever the case may be. Um, and my mother stood firm 
this is, these are your consequences. Wow. You know, there was no bailing me out. She was glad, and I understand it today. I was so mad she said this to me. She said, I sleep better at night knowing you're safe in there. Oh, that's tough. You know, and I just... That's I, tough love, right? That's tough love, and I needed every bit of it. I couldn't tell you that in the moment, you know, but as I've grown into the individual I am today, I can look back and say, I needed all that. Yeah. I needed all that. So I stay in jail, and nothing changes if nothing changes, and nothing changed for me. You know, I, I, I was surrounded by individuals who still planned on doing the same thing. A lot of the population of individuals incarcerated have drug problems. Uh -huh. They do, you know, and they commit these crimes in chase of finding a drug. Right. And none of them were changing. What do you think was the main emotion fueling this? Was it anger? Was it, uh, again, that just party identity? When you left jail and you go back to that lifestyle, what, yeah. what's the main driver? I think there's several, if not more, different factors. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no identity. Okay. I have none. Um, sobriety. What happened to the party when it wasn't? It didn't fit anymore. It Once wasn't. the party was gone, which that happened at 16, I realized I am a problem. Mm -hmm. I did realize that. Okay. I just didn't care. I didn't care. I didn't care because I'm selfish. It's all about me and how I feel. I don't care how you feel. That's that's who I am in my addiction, right? And 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 that's what I continued to chase. What Vince wanted to do. Didn't matter if it hurt me or other people. Did it make me feel better? Did I like it? Did I like this? Did I like that? You know. And, and you also catch a physical addiction to it. Mm -hmm. My body is dependent upon it, right? My mind becomes dependent upon it, upon it, and throughout all of this mess that I've created, drugs and alcohol become the solution to Vince. Huh. It becomes my solution to living, you know? That's, it becomes my higher power. It becomes my identity, so. So today, August 31st, International Overdose Awareness Day, you said that you didn't mind talking about that. No, Tell us not about at all. the first time you overdosed. Um, yeah, uh, the first time I overdosed, uh, I was, uh, this is towards the end of my run, and um, I would seek help. How old are you? At, at this time? point, I'm 26. 26. Yeah, so two-time felon. I'm homeless. I'm sleeping in this truck that I had, you know, like my most valuable possessions. This is the insanity behind it. Were DVDs sitting next to me in the passenger seat. DVDs not even in the original case. I don't know. I just had sick thinking. I would give everything away trade everything but for some reason I clung to DVDs I think it's because I was homeless and I wanted to entertain myself and I had this little portable just don't make me think just yeah, keep, keep me plugged it, in yes yes wow. distract me from the reality of me living in my truck the, not having showered don't let me be bored yeah yeah don't let me think about the reality of where I'm at wow which is probably why I love fantasy movies and mm -hmm. stuff like that um you know I'm 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 a bigger guy. I'm, I'm down to probably 168 pounds. Um, missing teeth, track marks, um, which is the shift as well from smoking weed, popping pills, sniffing pills, 
sniffing heroin, you know, becoming the IV user. All the nevers that I compared to originally that I talked about, I had no more nevers. I was done. And I would recognize that throughout my living. I would, you know, you'd wake up and realize it's another day of hell. Groundhog Day, you know, until you find whatever you have to find to get to where you want to be physically, mentally, and emotionally um, in that substance. And uh, I, had, I had just copped. Um, I'm in Elkton, Maryland, which is where I'm from, and I'm in a parking lot. I cop, I use, and the next thing I know is... I'm in a different road completely. I'm in the passenger seat of my truck and an individual that I don't know who who they were is driving my truck. And I come to, um, this individual quickly said, what the heck? And pulled over, got out, ran, and jumped in another car and took off. I sat there, and I passed out again. Um, The first time, it was, you know, I was was unconscious for a good amount of time because I remember when I parked. I remember looking at my face as I came to and realizing, like, what happened. And I looked like one of those vampires. I looked like one of those vampires, like a corpse. I look. I remember specifically looking at myself and seeing a corpse. And the realization was there, what just took place. Um, one, I, I overdosed. Two, I was being robbed, I believe, mm-hmm. you know. I don't. I, I try not to dive into what else could have happened, sure. you know, because all I need that lesson is to see my blessing. I like that. You know, that's all I, I have to focus on about that situation. What could have went wrong leads me to understanding about this blessing and this beautiful gift of life that was lying in front of my feet. I just didn't see it. So I, 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 I go to this laundromat, which is where I was, you know, I would go partially live in from time to time. I slept it, slept it off. Um, I come to the next morning, and every once in a while we have them sobering mornings with the realization of what's transpired and where you are at in your life. And I woke up and I sat on the edge of this little, you know, uh, layout. And just kind of thought about what happened, what could have happened, what is happening. And I objected to it. I objected to it in a position of, I don't want to keep moving on in life like this. And if life is going to continue to be like this, I'd rather kill myself. Or I would rather have that drug took me out. I remember wishing that. Um, that day I, I would go on to out in the world and I was still doing what I was doing, but with a different brokenness, not that I wasn't always broken, Uh but the realization of it 
it was at the forefront of my mind and everything I was just done. I knew inside of me I was done one way or another with life or with addiction. Um, I called a friend who I knew who was just as bad as me, um, you know, and he was always a piece in my mind who I knew could, if I ever needed help and wanted to try recovery, he would be there. And I reached out to him and he gave me uh, instructions on, you know, finding treatment. And I did. I did. And then he told me I had to wait, a, you know, two weeks for a bed. And I'm like, I'm going to die. I have this hope, and I also understand if I don't keep this little piece of hope lit, I will. I'll give up. I'll stop caring. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can shift quick, uh, right? I, that's the thing with addicts and alcohol, alcoholics, at least for myself, is if I don't make an act on the decision that I'm taking, I can give up on it very quickly. And as a loved one, if you see that glimmer of hope in somebody, oh, you got to move fast, right? Take advantage. Get them help immediately um, because it's there. Um, it's there, and it's so important to keep the flame lit because um, it goes out naturally, and it can go out immediately. The addiction will take it out. Um, so did you make it to treatment then? I did. I did. Um, I, I burned all my bridges, and I have this little five-foot grandmother who, God bless her, she answered the phone and said, she's never let, and she has probably 18 grandkids, wow. has never let any of them into her house to stay overnight outside of when we were kids. We're all grown now. Um, I'm 26, 27 at the time. And uh, I said, Grandmom, no one's letting me stay with them. I've burned all my bridges. I have a date of where I'm going to rehab. But if I stay out here, I'm going to die. I told her those words. She said, son, honey, come here. My grandmom had a one bed in her house. And she gave up her bed to let me begin my detox. Obviously, I still took some other kind of narcotics to kind of, you know, slowly getting better. I wasn't, you know, by no means do I suggest that. I suggest if you can find help immediately get that which is so beautiful why I, I chose to you know a career at RCA they'll pick you up that minute 24 you don't hours have to wait a day a, seven days a week you don't have to wait two weeks like I did yeah because trust me I had times in those two weeks where I wanted to give up sure I, 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 I saw it easier just to go back to that way of living and accepting it um my mom mom she took the phone your mom, mom, I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Shout out to mom, mom, Douglas. Um, we all need mom, mom. Yes, don't we, we do. Yes, uh. we do. The nurture, the care, the love is everything I needed, and God put my mom, mom there to help guide me through one of the toughest battles in my life. Mm-hmm. Two weeks came up. My mom picked me up because you know I had no, you know, my car was done at this time. I mean bungee cords to keep the, the doors from flying open when you hit a corner. Um, I had to put air in the tires probably five times a day. Yeah. No license or registration, and, you know, I just kept going. Um, my mom picked me up, and we took this long route to this treatment facility, and I get there, I unload my stuff, and, and the conversation on this hour-and-a-half ride was me just trying to have small talk, and my mom just sick and tired of me 
which is okay. I I would be sick and tired of me. I get it, you know. And in that moment, I had the realization of who I've been to my mother. Um, I've done incredible and absurd, tragic things to her and my family members in my addiction. And I accepted that in that moment. And I got out of this treatment, uh, I got out of the car and I put my belongings, which was a trash bag and an Adidas bag that my mom bought me because she knew I didn't have any luggage. I still have that Adidas bag to this day. And I loaded onto this cart and I'm about to walk into the state treatment center. And I look at my mom and I say, I'm gonna do it this time. She's, she's looked at me and she says, son, you say that every time and left me right there. And I was that 17-year-old kid who just got put out of the house again. I, that was my immediate thought because I immediately think about myself. Abandonment. Yes. And I was like, what kind of mom says that? Don't you see me trying? Don't you see me? I'm here. I'm at the door. But instead, I, uh, I accepted that as the truth and the reality of who I am. I'm a liar, a cheater, a stealer. I'm a thief. Um, I, I'm selfish to the core. And I walked into that treatment center next to a security guard who, who said, you must have really messed up, son. And I was like, wow, that, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> but he was right, too. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I landed uh, on this path. That's the very beginning. And in this treatment center, I, uh, I was just broken. I was, I was so beaten into a state of reasonableness that I was willing to listen to what anyone had to say about getting better. I'd listen. As simple as that. I was open to it, and I was honest about where I was at. I wasn't lying to myself or anyone else anymore. I was just honestly. I sat down with the intake guy. I was utterly honest. And I've sat down with intake guys before. I would always minimalize it, make it look different, whatever the case may be, uh, which is, you know, odd because here's an individual who's trying to help me and I'm lying. Why? Do I want the help? I should be honest. And uh, the path forward has been such a beautiful, beautiful journey that uh, I'm, I'm truly grateful to be sitting here today to have went through everything I went through and to be grateful for all of it. And it sounds, I, I know like, you know, people say, okay, you went to treatment and life got fabulous. That's what, but there's a lot of in between. Oh yeah. Right. Oh yeah. It wasn't an easy journey. No, no, no. Um, I had to deal with the consequences of all my actions in recovery. It wasn't just I went to treatment, things got better. Things got things felt better. Mm. I can say that you feel better about your situation, perhaps, or about yourself. Um, I still had to deal with the reality of I'm homeless. Mm. I'm homeless. I have nowhere to go. Mom and Daddy let me back in. I haven't lived there since I was 18. Um, they said, son, you gotta go to a halfway house. And I didn't wanna go. But then I realized I had nowhere to go, so I went. I went to a halfway house with you know, these few clothes that I had. I was grateful enough to, you know, I, I began my journey picking clothes out of what we call a dead man's pile. The church had donated clothes that came from, you know, uh, men who had passed away. The, 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 the wives would come and drop these clothes off, and this church would donate the clothes to the halfway house to help, you know, individuals find in recovery. 
and I remember picking clothes out, and I wore a, a shirt and a pair of jeans and a pair of boots to my first interview. You know, they told me I had to get a job within two weeks, and I walked around this town that I had never lived in and, you know, got a job, you know, at a lumber yard making $9 an hour, in which I had to walk to work every day. First six months of my recovery was humbling, humbling, humbling. Um, despite, and that's, this is a lot about recovery. Despite what I think or how I feel, I got up and went. Discipline. Yes. First time. Yes. I, I didn't hold jobs. Mm-hmm. I didn't hold jobs at all. The, the longest job I had was two months working at Acme mm-hmm. from my whole life up until I was 27. I got sober October 20th, 2015. And uh, my whole life I had a two-month job. And I'm finding what it means to be an adult. or Maybe not, not an adult because, you know, you don't have to be a, an adult adult to be responsible, right? Um, I found out what it's like to be responsible, to take action despite how you feel, which was a beautiful thing. I would catch the sunrise, and by the sun rising, I would be like, hey, it's all right. This is, okay. this is all I ever wanted, mm-hmm. to find the ability to move with life on life's terms. So when did you start working in treatment? Um, I started volunteering. I started volunteering at the treatment center that I went through. They had an open men's meeting that would have the patients and, you know, alumni, if you will, go to the meeting and, you know, share. And how important is that service, the Uh, volunteering to recovery? Absolutely. It's, It's so important to my recovery still to this day. Why? It's the foundation. It gets me outside of me. Okay. I get to see the light pop on for someone else. I get to meet someone else who's going through exactly what I went through. It allows me to see where I've come from. Everything about it, from different perspectives, creates this miraculous, wholesome, beautiful form of energy like that, uh, you know, in all spiritual texts they say, to give is to receive. When I give my time, I receive. When I, despite how I think, act in the service of someone else, I am rewarded with that joy, that compassion, that love that that individual receives from me. Um, I can go on and on and on about acts of service. <laughs> We're going to have to have you back. Yeah, and, absolutely. And just talk about service. Absolutely. So I'd, be, I'd be honored to. Um, yeah, so I started so start, there. You start volunteering. Three months, ten months pop up, and the treatment center that I went through said, hey, Vince, how would you feel about a job? And I was like, yes. I, I subconsciously, consciously, I kept it to myself to some degree. I knew that's what I wanted to do, and I knew that's what God put on my heart to do, to be there. You know, it's also a position of the 12 steps to be of service um, and give back. And you got peer recovery certification? I did. I did. Um, I started working out of the treatment center that I went to um, for a good year. And then uh, I chose to move back to the town in which I once cursed. I said I'd never go there again. It was the reason why I was what I was. But I've done so much inner work and recovery work that I realized I'm, I'm responsible. Where I'm from is not responsible for who I am. I think that happens a lot. Like people, they get into early recovery or they go through detox and like, if, if I move somewhere else, 
Like, I'll be, I'll be fine. I just got to get out of where I am. You're taking me with me. And that d- doesn't seem to yeah. work, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, geographical change isn't the fix. It may help you, support you a little bit. For sure. I'm not going to not say that. Um, but if you don't, I, I think what you just said, if you don't deal with you, if you don't, would you say you're taking me with you? I'm, yeah, yeah. Um, wherever I go, I'm taking me with me. Mm-hmm. You could put me in the most beautiful place on earth, you know. And you can find. Oh, yeah. Whatever I've you need to find. I, I'll find. Or I'll find my way back here. Yeah. I remember being on a trip in Maine, and I stole my, you know, my dad's car just to come all the way back to find a substance. Wow. Insanity. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Go back to our theme today, International Overdose Awareness Day. What do you say to someone who's lost a loved one? We deal with that. I love you. Yeah. I love you. Um, That individual loved you. And maybe you haven't heard that word, but I'll say it on their behalf if I could. I know that word isn't going to take away pain, isn't going to take away the questions. Even if you understand the disease, it's just, there's still the why. Mm. It's still going to sit heavy. It's still going to be hard to accept that days. I have many of friends and you know loved ones who I've lost as well. And I think back to what I would need to hear. And I almost think for myself, don't let it be for nothing. There are programs and individuals that you can help through this journey, similar to the journey that I'm on. There are other people who are gonna unfortunately lose loved ones. It's the nature of this thing, you know? And be open about it because that person, it seems like they're, they got it all together It's just a mask. And they're just looking for someone to connect to, to talk to on this situation. So that's that if that helps someone, I'm I'm grateful for that. Um it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to say what what do you say? Mm -hmm. I think be there, have an open ear, I'm here if anything you need. It's not words, it's being there. Yeah. It's service to others. Yes, yes. Anything you need, just let me know. Um and let's talk about it. Let's reduce the stigma. Let's yeah. get rid of the shame associated with this. You know, I go back to if I had died that day. Um, my mother would have been the mother going around to local schools with a slideshow of the progression of my illness to show and help individuals and hopefully steer them away from the path that Vince had took. I think about Vince's foundation. I, I believe in my heart and my soul my mother would have done that because mm-hmm. she loved me that much, you know. Um, and perhaps that's needed. If that could help someone, please. Vince, we're so glad you're here. We're so thankful for the work you do for our patients and alums. Grateful for your story and your service today. Thank you guys for having me. I'm happy to be here and to be a part of this beautiful Uh, alumni association which is so crucial and beneficial to individuals seeking and finding treatment and finding 
long-lasting recovery. Okay, let's wrap it up. Favorite recovery quotes? My quotes or quote? Uh, you want two? You can get two. Um, I'll go with one. All this right. too shall pass. This too shall pass. Yes. And that is more than just a recovery quote because that applies to many factors of life. The individual who feels like giving up, just know that that feeling will pass. And have faith in that. This too shall pass. Feelings um, aren't facts, right? No, they are not. No, they. I, I know they feel like them at times. And it, it, it's all you can think about. And it's, you know, we can't outthink our emotions mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, but just trust that it will pass, despite what you think about it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks, listeners. Come back each Friday for the month of September, National Recovery Month. New episodes coming your way. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us today for the Strength and Recovery Podcast. Real people, real experiences, real hope. This podcast is presented by the Alumni Association of Recovery Centers of America. If you're interested in learning more, visit rcaalumni.com. Here, you can fill out our web form to make sure you're receiving our daily recovery emails and are notified of special events. The Alumni Association of RCA exists to connect individuals to an active recovery community. It is our goal to work with alumni to help them succeed, belong, and ultimately serve others. We help our alumni succeed by hosting more than 120 recovery support meetings per month with both virtual and in-person offerings of big book studies, speaker meetings, beginners meetings, Monday through Friday daily inspiration meetings, meetings for men and women, and faith-based meetings. Second, we create a welcoming community that provides a sense of belonging with a full calendar of events each month. Speaker series, barbecues, holiday celebrations, bowling, sporting events, theater shows, and much more. Thirdly, we provide an opportunity for our alumni to serve both the recovery community and in our local neighborhoods. We offer speaker commitments, chair commitments, mentoring opportunities in our facilities, volunteering at food banks, recovery, and overdose awareness events. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Recovery Centers of America provides inpatient and outpatient treatment and has locations in Massachusetts, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Indiana, and Illinois. Recovery Centers of America, or RCA, was founded to break down barriers to expert treatment. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, are in network with major insurance providers, and provide evidence-based treatment in our world-class facilities. If you or someone you know needs help, call 1-800-RECOVERY and know we are here for you.